This morning I want to take as my text that reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 678. Page 678, Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1, which I'd like us to read again. Notice with me again now, verse 1. And the prophet says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house, the temple was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. This morning I want to talk about answering God's call. Answering God's call. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, Jesus says famously that many are called, but few are chosen. And we might ask this question, and how do we know who they are that are chosen? Well, those who are chosen are those who answer the call. And as we reflect on Isaiah's experience, it would seem that answering the call of God is something of a process. And seemingly that process begins with, if you like, a seeing God for who he truly is. Indeed, that's exactly how it happened for Isaiah. Notice again beginning at verse 1. And in the year that you, King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And so Isaiah says that in the year that King Uzziah died, he experienced a vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne and high and lifted up and as he says the train of the Lord's robe his royal robe filled the temple 
Now, King Uzziah was one of the kings of Judah, one of the good ones as it happened, a descendant of King David. And King Uzziah reigned a long time. In fact, the Bible tells us that he reigned as king in Judah from Jerusalem for 50 years. And history tells us that King Uzziah died in the year 74 BC, 740 B.C. And so I, I, Isaiah mentioning the death of King Uzziah is, is, is Isaiah's way of indicating when it was. He's giving us a date, or at least a year, when he experienced this vision in 740 B.C., 700 or so years before Christ. And Isaiah saw what he, as he describes it, the Lord sitting high upon a throne. And as he says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now it isn't exactly clear uh, whether Isaiah is what he's seeing was a vision set in what we would know as the earthly temple as it was then in Jerusalem, the Solomon's temple. Or what he's seeing perhaps is a, a, a heavenly temple or a heavenly worship space. One hint, interestingly enough, is the fact that he mentions a throne. And what we know about the furniture within the earthly temple is that there was no throne in it. But Isaiah, Isaiah sees God seated upon a throne in this temple as he describes it. Still, we can't be exactly sure what Isaiah is saying because he doesn't give us that particular detail. But Isaiah says that in this vision that he saw, he sees seraphim, which are angelic beings, literally in the Hebrew, burning ones, which may have something to do with the way that they appeared to Isaiah, that they were bright and shining. And he says that they had each six wings and with two they covered their face, presumably notwithstanding how shiny they were, to hide their faces from the brightness of the glory of God. And with two they covered their feet, which might have been a symbol of humility. And with two they flew. You can just see. And he doesn't say how many there are. But they're all about. And Isaiah said that one seraph called out to another. Just sort of maybe, as you can imagine, antiphonally. One saying it and the other saying it and another one saying it and another one saying it. Saying, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts or the God of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full of his glory, full of his splendor full of examples of his character and his power and his grace and all that he is. Now that God is thrice holy, 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 holy means that God is as holy as holy gets. And perhaps maybe a hint here of the triune nature of God which becomes clearer to us in the revelation of God that we have in his son Jesus Christ that we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah says that as he was experiencing all of this, the foundations of, of the temple shook. He heard things, he saw things, he felt things. 
And the temple was filled with smoke, with cloud, with the Shekinah glory of God. As it did even earlier when God came to his tabernacle in the pillar of cloud by day and led the people by a pillar of fire by night. And you remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto the slopes of Mount Hermon and was transfigured before them, as Peter describes it, as the apostles describe it, that a cloud came and overshadowed them. And out of the cloud came a voice and said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And so this is how it all began for Isaiah. Isaiah saw God for who he truly is. And that's how it begins with us. Indeed, the process that leads to us answering the Lord's call on our life begins with us seeing God for who he truly is. Now, in most cases, of course, I mean, I have never had, uh, and I, have, I did have a vision one time, which is, it was what it was, and I've explained that, I think, with some of you. But it wasn't like this. So in so most cases, uh, us beginning in this way and seeing God for who He truly is isn't quite just like this. But we come to see God in some new way, and to see Him and to know Him in a way that we didn't know before. And so answering the call begins with us seeing God for who He truly is. And seeing God for who He truly is, if we follow the Isaiah pattern, gives way to becoming recipients of God's grace. Seeing God for who He truly is and then becoming recipients of God's grace. Indeed, that's exactly the way that it happened for Isaiah. Notice again now, beginning at verse 5. And Isaiah giving his own personal testimony, speaking in the first person singular. And I I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. Interesting response to what he saw. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, and then one of the seraphim flew to me. Can you imagine? Flew right to him. Having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. And so Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. His instinctive response was not, wow, this is like awesome. It wasn't anything like that. He said, woe is me for I'm lost. Or in the NIV, I'm ruined. It's almost like a curse on himself. For I am a man of unclean lips. I say the wrong things and I dwell amongst the people who say the wrong things. And it's not just about what we say because it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's a mind and a heart and a mouth problem. It's a personal problem. For mine eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts, the holy, 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 and I am unholy, unholy, unholy. In fact, in today's gospel reading, we have something of a parallel here. We see something similar as was read just moments ago and the response of Peter when it dawns on him in the boat who Jesus really is. Indeed, as we read in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel and at verse 4 and it says, and then when Jesus had finished speaking to the crowd, he said to Simon, put the boat out into the deep. Let's get off, this, get off the sand here and let's go out and let's slip down the nets and, and catch some fish, Peter. And, and Peter said, Master, we've toiled all night. <laughs> you know, listen, you were the carpenter in Nazareth. We're the fishermen. We know all about this. We fished all night. There's nothing to be caught. Ah, but, you know, Lord, uh, since you're asking, we'll go ahead and do it. And so they did. And when they had, had done so, Luke tells us, and they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and they filled both boats to the top with fish so that, the, so that now the boats were beginning to sink and take on water. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, because I'm a sinful man. Just like Isaiah. Coming into true contact with the holy. Whether it's God in a vision or it's God come in human flesh and standing right before you in a boat on the sea or the lake of Galilee, we're presented with our unholiness, <laughs> that we don't fit with this. And Isaiah says that in the midst of, of this despair, that one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand, as the text says, a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar, the altar associated with the temple. And, and he touched my mouth, Isaiah said. I said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And he, I stated my problem, and he brought the solution. He touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That's grace. God's gift. Solving a problem for us that we cannot solve ourselves. As one theologian said, sin is a sickness that cannot be healed. It must be forgiven. Or as Archbishop William Temple put it, he said, all is of God. It's all of God, he said. Indeed, the only thing of my very own that I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. That's my contribution to redemption. The sin from which I need to be redeemed. And that's what happened to Isaiah. And we need God's grace too. What does the scripture say? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we're all sinners. 
And if any of us would be made right before God, it will be an act of God's sovereign grace and nothing else. In fact, that's what Paul said. Paul, the, who all of his life was somewhat haunted by the fact that he had been a vicious, vociferous persecutor of the church. And he says famously in his letter to the Ephesians, for by grace, by unmerited favor, as a gift, by grace are, are we saved through faith, <laughs> by just reaching out and taking the gift that we could never prepare for ourselves. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. <laughs> not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. You can't earn your way into God's love. In fact, we serve him because we know that he does love us and that he's gracious. And so answering the call of God begins with us seeing God for who he truly is. And seeing God for who he truly is then gives way to becoming recipients of his grace. And then in turn, this all opens up to us us answering the call. Indeed, that's how it happened for Isaiah. God called, and Isaiah responded. He answered the call. Notice verse 8. After all of this, he said, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, First it was the seraphim. They're doing all the talking. And then the seraphim who came with the hot coal, and then he promised me forgiveness. This has touched your lips and your guilt is removed. And now the voice of God himself. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, And whom shall I send? <laughs> I have something I want to get done. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the plural, which is another interesting feature. And Isaiah says, and you know what? And then I said, here am I, Lord. Send me. No more fear. No more despair. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. God has given to me something I could have never accomplished for myself. Lord, you got something you need to get done? I'm on deck. Lord, here I am. Send me. And so that's how it happened for Isaiah. And that's how it happens for us. We come to see God, perhaps, in a new and fresh way. We come to see God for who he truly is. And we become the recipients of his free and sovereign grace. And then having experienced all of this, the, the answering the, the call of God is practically a foregone conclusion. Because God's true call, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. God's true call heard for those he has chosen is always an effectual one. And so I wonder, are you seeing God for who he truly is? And have you been a recipient of what we sometimes refer to as his amazing grace? 
And if that's true, then no doubt you're also answering God's call on your life and doing for him what he wants you to do. Indeed, true worship or seeing God for who he truly is and being a true recipient of his sovereign grace leads always, always to a transformed life. Richard Foster, in his great book, been in publication, I think, for nearly 35 years. You can still get it brand new and hardbound. His book, Celebration of Discipline, wrote this. If worship doesn't propel me to, into greater obedience, it has not been true worship. Listen to what he said. If worship doesn't propel me into greater obedience, it has not been true worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. To worship is to change. Are you changed? Are you changing? <laughs> Answering God's call. Let us pray. Lord, when we think of the psalmist saying, in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is, the, that is the testimony of someone who lives in communion with you, whose sins have been forgiven and because they have been clean, cleansed and, and atoned for and, and have been forgiven and redeemed, they can come into your presence and look you full in the face and say, it's good to be here. In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What do you want, Lord? <laughs> what can I do for you? My life is not my own, Lord. I've been bought with a price, the blood of your Son, with whom you were well pleased. I'll do anything for you, Lord. Not to earn your love, but because I know you love me. Even to the point of death you love me. Even to the point of giving up all that you have to reach me. Because you rather die than live without me. What can I do? What can I do for you? That's the sentiment of the redeemed. The sentiment of one who sees God as he truly is someone who has received your grace and can't help even as Isaiah Lord me Lord me Lord send me use me do what you want to do through me Lord if we haven't had that experience and if we're not experiencing it now Lord in your mercy and your grace, make it so to us. Let this be the day of new birth. Let this be the day. Even as Isaiah said in the year that Uzziah died, let this be the day, the 6th of February, in the year of our Lord, 2022, that God did something in me that he had never done before, and I've never been the same 
sins. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.